Okay, so this is episode 26 of Road to Serfdom's Stream of Consciousness, and I'm going to be talking about uh, corporativism in this episode. And it's something I've been thinking about trying to put together an episode on for a long time. I've been talking about this really since 2016 on my account on Twitter, which incidentally was just deleted. Um, so I, I have, if you've seen my YouTube channel, I have a, a public statement uh, demanding that my Twitter account be reinstated and has evidence for my usage of the term experimental gene therapy. And we'll see what happens with that. But in the meantime, I have another account on Twitter, which is my Irish traditional radio show, uh, and that's at Corned Beef Curse, and I'll put a link in the in the YouTube and on Twitter when I post this. Um, so that's my current alt, and, and unless I can get back my Road to Serfdom account, that's where I'll stay. Um, and so I'm going to do my best to try to rebuild on that account. I only have about 10% of what I had in terms of... Uh, follower base so it's going to take some time to actually get out to everybody i, I have the, exactly the same if not worse uh suppression and shadow banning on that account as i did on road to serfdom so um it makes it even harder for me to do anything with that account so i think i've decided i'm going to be spending uh, a lot more time doing these podcasts um and hopefully I won't be taken down from YouTube, but at least if I do get taken down from YouTube, I can post stuff on Rumble or whatever. I mean, there's, there's sort of better, better things for me to recover from that than with losing Twitter. Um, but I'm going to keep doing Twitter, and I'll be doing it on the Corn Beef Curse account. So in corporativism, the, the main issue that is really a problem is that people do not understand what the definition of these words actually is. And that's because the government has gone out of its way to intentionally obfuscate and, and misinform everybody about the definitions of these words, or just not mention them at all. Um, but fascism, corporatism, uh, corporativism is the word that I choose, because, and that's because people aren't familiar with it. Um, if, you, if you go and look it up, then you'll find the same it goes to the same place that fascism and corporatism are in this Britannica article, but you probably wouldn't find this if you typed in fascism or corporatism. And that's because there's so much misinformation out there. Um, but if you go and look at this, I'm going to summarize it for you, but um, this explains, it's actually pretty good, it tells you some of the history of it, but I'm going to summarize it. So corporativism is a ideology and a government form. It's, it's not a capitalist thing at all. It has nothing to do with capitalism. Um, it actually started as mercantilism. So corporations themselves started under mercantilism. And so the crown of monarchies would actually create and incorporate, would create a corporation that would act in its interests as a trade organization, and it would use its military to defend it. Uh, so that it could prevent anybody from trying to compete with it, which necessarily would mean other monarchies, other states. So mercantilism was about the sort of weaponized government trade. And this is actually where this idea of um, trade deficits comes from, because that, you know, in a true capitalism where people exchange goods uh, freely and voluntarily with each other, regardless of borders, there's no trade deficit, there's no possibility of a trade deficit because the government is not supposed to be involved in trade at all. So this idea of a trade deficit actually is a throwback to this mercantilist idea that government was involved in trade. It's not supposed to be. 
Um, and so etymologically speaking, the word corporation actually means, the, the, the root word is corpus, which means of the body in Latin. And so the body is the state. And so when the state creates a corporation, it creates an organ of the body. And that's why that word is used. When somebody talks about organs of state or corporations being uh, state organs, it's not just a, an insult. It's actually a direct reference to the actual definition of the corporation. That's what it means. It's that it's that is actually its function and its purpose. Um, and so mercantilism preceded capitalism. That's what you know. So you know when, when we talk about the emergence of capitalism in the uh, 18th century or late 18th, 13th, early 19th century, really 19th century. So pretty much when we talk about capitalism, we're talking about the 19th century. Um, so all of this happened after the creation of most of the countries that we're going to be talking about here. Certainly Britain and the United States, um, and corporations with this definition uh, of the body. Uh, do not fit in capitalism at all. They're not supposed. They shouldn't have stuck around at all. This this idea should not have stayed around at all. Capitalism should have been able to get rid of it, but um, it just went from being a monarchical corporation to being a, a corporation of our state. Uh, so we started having our own corporations um, as the United States, not with a king and not directly to a president, but to our republic, but still a corporation nonetheless, bound to the state as an organ. And so the, the history of this, the, you know, as, as the capitalism started to become prevalent and states started to lose their, their power over people because they were actually just individually trading with each other, um, they, they started to really freak out. And I'm really talking more about Europe here because this is where most of this history is happening and the things I'm going to refer to happen in. Um, essentially, and it wasn't just capitalism, by the way, there's some credit to be given to egalitarianism, which was happening in France at the time, and both of those ideologies, economic systems, whatever you want to call them, uh, I don't think of capitalism necessarily as an ideology or egalitarianism as an economic system either, but essentially they're both both. And although they're in conflict with each other, they share this enmity that corporativism had for both. And that's because both talk about systems that don't have a, a class state. So capitalism and egalitarianism are supposed to be equal, equalitarian. Uh, they're supposed to not have classes. You're, you're not supposed to be born into entitled positions where you are granted special favor. Um, and corporativism is all about restoring the that birth special favor, restoring classes, restoring the class state. And it was actually uh, one of the one of the synonyms for it was called distributivism or distributism. Um, so let me go through here. Uh, the, the modernized Standestat, uh, the class state. And it's essentially feudal classes that they were trying to bring back. And although they were no longer monarchies, um, they were. They wanted to sort of keep this thing that they're familiar with and, and had control over, and would keep the 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 people down. And so, governments have been using this for a long time, and it's it's an alternative form of collectivism. It is a form of collectivism to socialism or communism of any form. So, national socialism is a form of communism. It's just limited by. Um, 
by the state that it's a member of. So national, so if you think of it this way, um, in the grand scheme, socialism as a general idea is just sort of collectivism with the sharing of wealth and little or no property rights. Um, and as you gradually become more totalitarian and within socialism, you get eventually to communism, which is global uh, socialism. And in global socialism, you have a glo it lays claim to every inch of the entire planet and says that it's going to use its power to liberate everybody on the planet. It, it claims the entire world. That's what communism is. That's why the Soviet Union was always trying to sort of take over the world because its entire ideology is based on the idea that it already owns the entire world. You, you know, I mean, the workers of the world unite. That's what that means. Uh, whereas national socialism, as part of its ideology, necessarily limits itself to within its own borders, or at least, I mean, it talked about expanding its borders and, and a greater Germany and all of that, but even the greater Germany is not the entire world. Um, and it may have even had you know, world domination ideas later or even early on. But again, the ideology is national socialism, not global socialism. So therefore, it's national communism. People don't understand. They think that the Nazis were fascists, but actually the Nazis, all of these countries have elements of this corporativism that I'm talking about. So, so it's not that they're completely free of fascism. But generally speaking, we don't think of the Soviet Union as being fascist. So even though it might have some fascist elements, certainly did in the beginning, certainly did in the end, and certainly is now. I mean, Russia is a, is a fascist state, just like every country on the planet is a fascist state now. They're all corporativists. They're all corporativists. There are very few communisms left. Even China is, is really probably more corporativist than it is communist at this point. Um, there are corporations in China. But where, where would that come from? If it was a pure communism, why would it have corporations, right? Well, that's because this corporativism ideology gives the appearance of free trade to these organizations that it sets up in the syndicates and their corresponding... I mean, I don't know if there's any unions. I don't think there's any unions in China. So they're missing that component of this particular form that I'm talking about. But, but, they, but like I said, they have these corporations in China, and that's not because China is capitalist. So... Um, so the national socialism thing isn't really fascism, it's really national communism, um, and the only real fascist state was Mussolini's uh, Italy, and it was from the beginning his whole idea was to, was to sort of tell the syndicalists to join together into one big corporation and, and operate it that way, but he wasn't able to do that, and so eventually he convinced everybody to have this these pairs of syndicates that I was describing, so that you would have a syndicate for the labor and the syndicate for production, and they would organize with other syndicates and other economic sectors, so there would be one for this particular economic sector, one for this one, but you would still be able to control everybody within it, and the state would still control directly each of these corporations and be able to delegate the management to the corporations, which made the state's actual operation a little bit easier. Um, but the state is still absolute. It's still a totalitarianism. Uh, it's just delegating some of the functions, right? So that's what we have. We actually have been that for a long time. And it makes it difficult for people to understand because they've been misled to think that we're a capitalism. And while it's true that you know, as much as half of our economy has been small businesses and, and 
true capitalists, although heavily interfered with, heavily, you know, the interventionism that has happened to the amount of capitalism that we've had has been so severe that it's hard to call it free market. But it certainly wasn't full corporativism. So at least half of our economy up until probably 20 or 30 years ago, certainly two years ago, um, I don't know. Let's just say for the sake of argument that our economy was was 50% capitalism up to two and a half to three years ago. Um, after that, they were able to completely destroy or, you know, the small businesses and individuals, and, and that forces people to go and work for corporations and to lose their businesses and to lose their independence, and that brought us from 50-50 to what's probably closer to 80-20 now. So it's, we're probably 80% corporativist and 20% free market capitalist, although, again, the interventionism is so dramatic that it's hard to call it free market. So... We're not a capitalism. We haven't been a capitalism. Corporations are not capitalist institutions. In many cases, these and, and there's another clarification I should make because this is this is one of the things that bothers people uh, that is difficult for them to understand and chew. I guess is that when I say corporations in this sort of um, state management idea, this government form that I'm describing, I'm not talking about a small business that incorporates, quote unquote, because it wants to get some legal benefit to protect its property rights from legal suits. That is not what I'm talking about. Uh, although it is a grant of special state favor to a group because they ask for a charter from the government to have special favor. Uh, so in many cases, in many ways, it is certainly anti-capitalist, but it's not corporativist in this in this greater sense that I'm describing, which is the real threat, which is this idea that the government will control the behavior of everybody in a totalitarian way through its corporate organs. And, and it does that by granting them monopoly powers over entire economic sectors. So obviously some small company with 14, 50, 100 people in it, it, it becomes a corporation because they want to protect themselves from people suing them for having coffee that's too hot. It does not automatically make them a part of the totalitarian state, but it does make them susceptible to any orders the state might give them because if they lose their charter, they lose a lot of stuff that they value highly. Um, but generally speaking, those smaller businesses are still operating as businesses, too. This is another clarification. Um, small businesses have to make money in order to survive. If they don't make money, they can't pay their bills and they go out of business. So it still is a capitalism, at least, in that sense. It might be easier to fail because the government intervention is so dramatic and terrible that you're just even less likely to survive than you would in a normal capitalism. But at least you can go out of business because that's that's an important qualification. You have to be able to go out of business in a, in a capitalism. Um, but these larger corporations that are granted these charters simply aren't allowed to go out of business. And if they are ever put out of business because the government decides you're no longer in business and we're going to take your charter and we're going to assign it to this other company and they're going to do all the things that we used to tell you to do, but you didn't do it right or you're name is thrown has been dragged through the dirt because the public caught you doing something we told you to do you know what i mean like if a corporation is told to do something terrible and then it goes and does it because it has to or it'll lose its charter um and then the public finds out and they say oh my god you know this something something inc they just did this terrible thing and so the the government will put them in front of congress you know and have a sort of a show trial with usually just one guy comes in you know is a representative of the corporation and he's just supposed to bend over and take the caning 
And then usually he doesn't get arrested. The corporation doesn't get seized, really. I mean, they might get billed something. Maybe they get a fine. Um, but really nothing comes of it. It's just that they take the, the official, obvious, overt power away from that corporation and they give it to another one. In some cases, they'll place a government employee in, on the on the board and not even get rid of the corporation. Like the GM would be a good example of this, because GM was part of the cartel of auto companies. So it would be difficult to just get rid of GM. So the, well, the answer was to place a government official on the board of GM. I mean, the whole board was already government officials in the sense that I'm talking about. That's why I say corporations are not capitalist at all. They're, they're actually um, organs of the state, surreptitious or not. But in order to satisfy the public's objections about something that might happen in these corporations, they can place a government official on the board and then the public is like, okay, well, I feel better now because now there's some government oversight in that corporation because they believe it's a capitalist organization and they don't believe that it was controlled by the government in the first place. So really what you've done is just, this, it's, it's, it's not even really a musical chairs. Um, in the worst case scenario, if they really needed to and if the public demanded it, and government would be perfectly delighted to fully nationalize that corporation's responsibilities. It's just, again, because we're ostensibly a, a, a constitutional republic, if if people were upset with GM, so the government came in and said, okay, that's it, we're going to nationalize auto manufacturing, now we're going to have a department of cars, and only the government can make cars now. How, is that what you wanted, public? And the public would be, hey, well, let's take a hang on, hang on. We just wanted you to, to do something about GM. We didn't want you to take away the ability to make cars from everybody, which is really only three companies, but they have this misinformed idea that there's competition in the auto industry. I mean, you know, the... the the union itself is all of them. So there isn't even any competition between the workers and the companies. Uh, they're all in the union. Everybody gets the same deal. So, but but if the government wanted to, or I mean, the government wants to, if the public wanted them to, the government could nationalize completely any business at all, and it wouldn't really change much in terms of operation. It would just change things in perception of the public. Um, so that's what we are. We're a corporativism, not a capitalism. And, and like I say, at least up until a few years ago, we were, we were half corporativism. Half of everything we did was government, directly government run um, in this corporativist arrangement. And the other half was, was these terrible private property owners who ran businesses and, and served customers' needs. And the capitalism is so efficient that you can get rid of half the people in your country remove them completely from the equation, and half the people can take care of everybody's necessities. Then that's what's happened. That's what happened. Um, because corporations, generally speaking, do not make a profit. They can't really make a profit. They're bureaucracies. This is another thing people don't really understand. Like, um, because they're governments, they're, they're virtual government departments, they're going to operate like government departments. This is why corporations are all bureaucracies. Um, normally, bureaucracies don't appear in private organizations that are companies. Like, what, what, what utility is there to have a bureaucracy in a company? None. Um, but once you have a bureaucracy, um, you have this sort of balance sheets that you're trying to make sure all the numbers line up and you, you take in what you give out and whatever. And it's not about accumulating wealth. It's not about improving procedures or making parts of your production process cheaper. 
all these things are are, are verboten in a, in a bureaucracy. It's like, and this is why the way that I discovered this, this maybe I should introduce this here now. Um, I wrote databases for very large corporations, uh, and I, I had done uh, one particularly impressive database that was an advertising global advertising builder for a, a major office office supply peer, uh, company that made them tens of millions of dollars extra every month because my automation did what all these people that used to do it manually did, and it was and it was such a dramatic improvement in production that it screwed everything up and, and and everyone was upset and when I tried to go and get more work at other companies thinking to myself well you know they paid me a quarter million dollars to do this database I did it and at the and by the by the way when I took this job it took took two or three years for me to actually get this job in the first place because I don't know I don't really don't know why it took me that long to get the jobs because they just kept posting it as an internal thing we want a full-time internal database guy and it's, a, it's not how I do it I'm, I'm a contractor I'll, you tell me what you need done I'll do it and then you pay me this much and they finally did it after several years and everybody said it couldn't be done this thing that they wanted me to do which was automating the InDesign this is around the time of XML and InDesign and so I, I they said we need this automated I said I can do it and then I started calling around and asking InDesign you know Adobe and all these companies about um what the best way to go about this would be and they all said no it can't be done we tried and it's just it's impossible i said what are you talking about it's impossible it's a software nothing is impossible in software and and so i had to do this all myself so when i took the job i said i could do it i actually didn't know that i could do it um but i've never run into any software problem i couldn't overcome and sure enough within two weeks i had an operational demo doing what everybody told me was totally impossible part-time off-site so to give you an idea here I mean I th I'm not sure if that itself scared the shit out of everybody and they were just expecting everything to be status quo and this my upsetting of it if that was the reason why they were upset with me or what but ultimately I finished I was allowed to finish it I was allowed to deploy it and they did use it and they did admit to they admitted to a 300% efficiency increase on paper uh, my estimate was a thousand percent uh, so, so literally, hundreds of millions of dollars were saved, uh, and their their production capacity was dramatically improved. Um, and I was thinking that I could just go and take this experience and go to you know maybe a different industry, if if not a direct competitor to them, and sell the general idea. Go maybe I could go to Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever. They all have the same basic layout of their advertising um, so I just go to them and I could not get any work ever again after that and nobody ever told me why and I just couldn't figure out what the hell was going on why this would be the case until I started to add things up and I started looking into economics and I finally realized it's because they're not capitalist institutions. They are not interested in making money. They are, their task is to manage the economic sector to which they've been assigned. And these are companies that are big enough to actually totally control an entire economic sector. So me coming in and doing that kind of a change actually caused hundreds of people to lose their jobs. And that's enough in an industry like that to cause maybe thousands of people to lose their jobs. Um, so that's a major upset and 
the maintaining of those jobs is actually the job of the corporation. So, and if you're a worker in, in that position of those jobs in the corporation like that, you probably like the corporation and hate me because I'm the guy who came in and did the thing that made you lose your job. But looking at this from a capitalist perspective, if you were a, a customer of this company and all of a sudden they made it so that they could lower the price of everything by 50%, I mean, they could have done that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, certainly could have lowered it by 20%. You know, if if there was as much overhead as I think there was for for the advertising costs and what I was actually allowed to do for them, uh, they could have done that. So if they were a competitive capitalist organization, they could have done that. And then the question is, what do you value more? These hundreds of, of employees' jobs, which was essentially a menial task of copying data from one thing to another, pasting it in, maybe making some mistakes there was no there was no art involved in it they weren't learning anything they weren't improving anything and they were getting older so actually in my mind i know this is a justification because i did make this as just a, not even a, as a capitalist but just I, this was my justification when i was doing it because it was not lost on me what, what was happening is it's kind of like when, when I did a I, I did Macy's down in New York City and I did I didn't do as big a job for them but I did some some small things and I'm and some other companies I've had situations where I come into a room and there's a group of people and they're all resizing one example is that people resizing photos uh, it's like you have you have 30 people in a room resizing photos all day long that's what you're paying these people to do that that is not a skill that is saleable I mean, you're paying them to do it, but that's that is literally chipping away at a rock with a with a pick. Um, they, you, they're not getting any younger, and they're not learning anything doing this. It must be horribly boring and soul crushing to do this useless work. I can write a script that will do this overnight for all of this, and we don't have to have these people do do this. So, isn't it better to not have? A whole bunch of people in the mines picking away at rocks if I can make an excavator that'll go down and do it for much cheaper and better. So that's what capitalism is. Capitalism is this constant drive to improve for the sake of improving profit, which turns out to lower costs for everybody, including the end user. And so this cycle of improvements um, actually results in raising of the quality of life of everybody everywhere because it lowers the costs of this which might be a component of a cost of another thing and interaction of these different industries and the lowering of prices and the improvement of quality etc 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 this is why capitalism is the best economic system corporativism is against all of these ideas it's for stability the purpose of corporativism is to maintain stability because its job is actually to maintain the the personal, social, economic, and political lives of the people that it controls. That's its job. Not to make stuff. The job of a corporation is to manage the people it, that are in its employ. So this is important to understand. And that's why we're a corporativism. That's why we're not a capitalism. And that's why everything is happening the way it's happening. Uh, I guess I'll have to do a follow-up episode because just that much that I've told you right now is probably going to take a minute to digest. Uh, and there's so much more to talk about with regard to this. Um, so I think I'll just leave it at that for now um, to give you a, a compare and contrast between corporativism and capitalism such as it is. 
and to give you some things to think about. Now, look at the Britannica article. Um, they go, they call it corporatism, but if you type in corporativism, you'll definitely go directly to it because it's one of the only articles that uses that particular word. Um, and I will do another episode, a follow-up episode, uh, on this topic to talk further about this. I think that's probably the best way for me to handle this for now. Uh, I also want to try to keep these episodes shorter because it doesn't seem like people stay for the whole thing. So what's the point of me going on for another 20 minutes? It would be better if I make another episode and you listen to the first 10 minutes of that. Um, so on that, I think I'll let it go. And... Uh, I think starting tomorrow or the next day, I'm going to have to do a begathon. Uh, it looks like on my corned beef curse account um, because I'm not going to get my road to serfdom back, uh, and I'm about to lose my place again. Every single month, I'm in this situation. I wait until the last minute because I don't know. Maybe something will happen, and it hasn't been happening. Um, I was hoping at least I'd get back my road to serfdom account so I could run the begathon there, which has been pretty reliable. Um, Hopefully it's going to work there. Hopefully it's going to work on the Corn Reef Curse account. Um, but uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, I I have been because of this tweet that I did a year and a half ago um, and Twitter's suppression of it. I became full time on Twitter retweeting the quote tweets of this tweet, and that became my job for the last year and a half. And then, as the months went on, I started this podcast. But all of this is actually an extension of this original job that I made for myself, which was sitting here all day retweeting quote tweets of my original movement license tweet. Um, I don't have that anymore because they deleted the account. So, in some ways, I'm you know I'm out of a job. I'm, I can't do what I was doing most of the day, which was retweeting the quote tweets. But I can still be on Twitter. I can still, you know, poke the bear, as it were, and, and do what I do on Twitter. Uh, and hopefully that's valuable. And I'm going to devote more time to doing these podcasts. So it's not that I can't do anything. Um, but it just feels weird. It feels weird doing a begathon on Corby of Curse. And it also feels weird not having my primary task, which is retweeting these quote tweets. So I've made a new version of the of that tweet on the corn beef and curses account so if you retweet that i'll if you quote tweet that because it's it's also under the same suppression by the way so you can only quote tweet it so if you quote tweet that i'll retweet your quote tweets and maybe we can start doing this same thing and rebuild that one the one on road to serfdom had made it almost to 50 million views and i think maybe that was one of the reasons why they deleted my account was to just get rid of all my stuff because it was they couldn't control it um, so I'm just going to start again uh, on Corned Beef and Curses, and I'm going to try, I'm going to make a deliberate attempt to make more, put more energy into these podcasts to explain subjects such as corporativism. So I'll leave it at that, and um, I will see you in the next episode or on Twitter. So thank you.